Dear subscribers of iTrain Intelligent Transportation, welcome back. We hope that you're all safe and sound wherever you are from. This is Dr. Marian Kavishkar from Ahmedabad University bringing you iTrain ITS podcast episode 58 in May 2020. No matter what, lockdown is not limiting us. We will open this episode with our news mini section. Boris has found very interesting news regarding COVID-19 and transportation. After that, we will listen to this episode's book review. For this episode, Halok too has reviewed a very interesting book about epidemic logistics. In addition, in this episode, we have a special guest. We will listen to an interview with Dr. Catherine Drix-Campbell from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. She will share with us her recent research results and we'll talk about human-robot interaction in driverless cars. Let us start this episode with Barish from Technical University of Berlin reporting the latest news. Go ahead, Barish. Hello, dear listeners. This is Barish Chuan presenting following news in the field of ideas for the episode 58 of Ideas Podcast. In this episode, we bring you the latest news and views on the impact of COVID-19 outbreak on smart mobility. Mobility companies cut down services or look for new business ideas. Due to the decreasing ridership and low demand on mobility services during the pandemic, some companies had to end their services or lay off their employees. Micromobility service provider Lime had to suspend their services in more than 25 countries. Bird, another shared mobility provider, has reportedly laid off 30% of its employees due to the financial and operational impact of the ongoing outbreak. Ford announced in a statement that its ongoing project of driverless taxi service will be launched in 2022, a year later than its initial plan due to the COVID-19 outbreak. According to a report by International Transport Forum, sales of electric vehicles has seen smaller decrease compared to other vehicles. Despite the sharp drops of car production and sales around the world, the market share of electric vehicles in Europe has continued to grow in March 2020 compared to a year earlier. Other companies are trying to adapt to the new requirements of the current situation. E-scooter and e-bike company Wheels is deploying e-bikes with self-cleaning materials on the handlebars and brake levers. Pony.ai a self-driving technology company partnered with an e-commerce platform, Yamibai, to offer autonomous and contactless last-mile delivery services to customers. On the other hand, European Commission prepared a coronavirus response program to provide relief to transport sector in Europe. The proposal includes supports to all transport modes. Validity dates of certain certificates and licenses will be extended in order to ease the daily operations in transport sector. The Commission aims to remove operational and administrative burdens to help sector focus on coronavirus recovery. According to a report published by ABI Research, a market research company, adoption of technology will accelerate due to the pandemic. The report highlights the emerging use cases during the current emergency, such as autonomous last-mile delivery, delivery of medical supplies via drones, and real-time dashboards and data sharing. Mobility companies delivering services and hope during COVID-19 outbreak. Despite the operational and financial disruptions to the mobility services, many vehicle manufacturers and mobility service providers are contributing to the fight against the pandemic by offering free services and products. Archimoto's electric vehicles, the rapid responder and the deliverator, are being used by Carry It Forward, an organization that donates goods directly to homeless people in the state of Oregon, US. 
Several automotive giants such as Tesla and Ford are producing ventilators to compensate the medical device shortages. General Motors, cooperated with StopTheSpread.org, Vauxhall and Airbus to use 3D printing to make ventilator parts for the NHS. Chrysler is manufacturing and donating more than 1 million protective masks per month to essential workers. Software company Esri is offering a 6-month subscription for ArcGIS Online to give away their ArcGIS Hub coronavirus response template for free. Rideshare service providers such as Lyft, Zillow and Via offer ride services for medical staff or key workers. Via have partnered with Berlkönig, on-demand shared ride service in Berlin, for providing free transit service for healthcare workers. Mobility as a service provider Moovit allows transit operators to use its transit data manager platform for free for three months. Navia, a French autonomous mobility firm, are currently transporting COVID-19 testing samples and medical supplies across the Mayo Clinic campus in Florida, US. Another autonomous vehicle company, GD.com, delivered medical aid to a hospital in Wuhan, China. Latest developments suggest that the recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic will not mean back to the business as usual. The long-term effects of the outbreak will bring new challenges and opportunities for the transport sector. Thank you for listening to the mini-news section of the 58th episode. Thank you, Barish. In this episode, Haluk has chosen a book called Epidemic Logistics Modeling, A New Perspective on Operations Research written by Ming Liu and others. Let's listen to him. This is the book review section for ITS podcast, read by Dr. Haluk Eren, Fırat University, Elazığ, Turkey. The book title is Epidemic Logistics Modeling, a New Perspective on Operations Research, and consists of 287 pages, published by Springer in 2019. Written by Ming Liu, Jiao, Jing Liang, Ming Jun Chen. Infectious disease outbreaks have unfortunately been very real threats to the general population and economic development in the past decades, whether they are caused by natural or bioterrorism. Therefore, it can be observed that the global burden of epidemics has tremendously increased in recent years. Many countries have drafted emergency response plans and operational frameworks for immediately implementing the related strategies for unexpected pandemic. Emergency medical centers will designate several local hospitals to treat infected individuals. This means a certain section of the appointed hospital will be isolated for quarantining and treating the infectious patients. However, determining the optimal resource allocation to control an unexpected epidemic is a complex optimization problem. Therefore, an integrated model for epidemic control should foresee the impacts of different resource allocation scenarios on epidemic development simultaneously and interactively. The objective of this book is to develop a general optimization modeling framework to help decision makers minimize infections and death due to an epidemic. The model provides information on the spread dynamics of infections and 
who were and when to allocate limited resources. The book consists of 13 chapters. In chapter 1, the basic concept of epidemic logistics is introduced, which are the basic knowledge of epidemic dynamics, literature review of epidemics control, and logistics operations, and several feature directions for epidemic logistics research. Chapter 2 presents epidemic dynamics modeling and analysis including epidemic dynamics in anti-bioterrorism system, epidemic dynamics modeling for influenza, and epidemic dynamics considering population migration. Chapter 2 presents epidemic dynamics modeling and analysis, including epidemic dynamics in anti-bioterrorism system, epidemic dynamics modeling for influenza, and epidemic dynamics considering population migration. Chapter 3 designs a mixed distribution mode for emergency resources in anti-bioterrorism system, which can find a trade-off between the point-to-point -point delivery mode and the multi-depot, multiple traveling salesman delivery systems. Chapter 4 and 5 propose a discrete time-space network model for allocating medical resource following an epidemic outbreak based on an epidemic diffusion model and a multi-stage programming model. Chapter 4 assumes the scenario of that emergency medical resource is sufficient, while Chapter 5 considers that it is limited. Chapter 6 and 7 comprise the integrated optimization models for epidemic logistics network because in the early rescue cycles, emergency resources allocated to the epidemic areas will affect the demand in the following periods. Chapter 8 presents a medicine demand forecasting model for medical resources allocation in the course of such epidemic diffusion and the logistics planning system. The model is built as a closed-loop cycle, comprising forecast phase, planning phase, execution phase, and adjustment phase. Chapter 9, 10, and 11 present a modification of an existing epidemics logistic model, estimating when to open the newly isolated wards and when to close the unused isolated wards. They conduct two medicine logistics model for hospital pharmacy trusteeship under a hybrid of uncertainties using a time-space network, as well as medical resources order and shipment in community health service centers. Chapter 12 and 13 continuously use time-space network technologies to conduct the problem of medical resources order and shipment. They present optimization models for optimizing the epidemic logistics network. In summary, this book combines the traditional and emerging technologies, including epidemic dynamics, scenario-based emergency decision-making methods, and big data. The authors 
take epidemic outbreak as the research object and deeply integrate the epidemic spread model with the optimization model of emergency resource scheduling, which opens up a novel application area of operations research. This book is fully updated to reflect the needs of a changing society. Finally, I hope the book provides an overlook for potential readers. This was Professor Haluk Aaron from Firoz University, Elazığ, Turkey. Thank you, Haluk. Thank you so much. As I mentioned before, we have a special guest in this episode, Dr. Catherine Briggs Campbell from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. She will talk about her research and findings. So grab a cup of coffee, sit relaxed, and listen to us talking. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for being with us. Let me give you a very short introduction about you. Uh, Catherine uh, Driggs Campbell is uh, an assistant professor in the electrical and computer engineering department at University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. She had got her BSE from Arizona State University in uh, 2012. Later, she persuaded her MSc and PhD both in electrical engineering and computer sciences at the University of California, Berkeley. She was working with Professor Rosanna Basti, uh, studying humans and robots that can interact and assist each other in everyday life. Her main focus uh, was on the interaction between drivers and autonomous vehicles. Uh, she has worked as a postdoctoral research scholar in the Air Astra Department in the Stanford Intelligence System Lab, where she worked on decision making, safe learning, and validation for autonomous vehicles with industry partners. Nowadays, uh, Katie's research interests are focused on exploring and uncovering a structure in complex human robot systems to create more intelligent, interactive autonomy. She develops rigorous human models and control frameworks that mimic the positive properties of human agents while compensating for their shortcomings with safety guarantees. Most of her work centers around uh, autonomous vehicles, considering how they may best integrate and operate in mixed environment with both humans and autonomous vehicles on the road. So uh, welcome, Katie, uh, to IEEE ITS podcast. I gave a short introduction for our listeners. They would be very happy to hear more details from you. Could you please introduce yourself and add anything that I might have missed? Um, yeah, thanks again for that great introduction. Actually, I think that was uh, very thorough. Um, but just to add a little bit, um, I've been at UIUC for about a year now. Um, my lab is called the Human Centered Autonomy Lab. Um, and as you mentioned, generally we try and think about how we can develop uh, safe, interactive, and rigorous systems um, that can interact well with people. Um, so yeah, generally I'm interested in thinking about how we can create this safe and interactive autonomy that can hopefully help uh, make a big impact in the real world. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much. So let's start. I asked some questions about your research. Uh, one of your research interests is a very trendy and favorite topic of human-robot interaction. Uh, could you please explain it and overall tell us what is it? Why we should pay attention to this? Yeah, great question. So I will say my view might not be the totally standard view of what uh, human-robot interaction is, but typically when I think of HRI or human-robot interaction, 
I really think of it as the exploration of what happens when we take our systems and we sort of throw them out into the real world. So we can design something like a perfect autonomous vehicle that operates very well in isolation or maybe just with other autonomous vehicles. But I sort of view HRI as the study of what happens when they start interacting with human drivers. So what happens when they're actually put out into the real world? So how do we account for different things, like how people will actually use our systems? Or what are the sort of new uh, edge cases that will pop up when you actually have this sort of interaction coupling between the human and your autonomous system? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's about asking questions about how you change the design of your system if you put people first. So what happens when you say you're taking a human-centered approach? Does that sort of change the questions you ask? Does that change uh, what your design parameters are? Um, and I personally think these sorts of questions and perspectives are really, really important when you actually think about what the sort of real world impact of your system is going to be and sort of what, uh, what happens when you actually put things out there and you're not just working in a lab or putting things down on paper. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, that's one of the problems with uh, autonomous driving. Uh, everything works perfect in lab, but when it gets on the streets, then uh, we face some very specific problems with it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2018, you have published a paper, People as Sensors, Imputing Maps from Human Actions. What do you mean by people as sensors? How people can be sensors? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, so this work was done in collaboration with Dapo Afalabi, um, and we were inspired by this uh, pretty common, fairly simple situation. So if you watch how human drivers approach uh, crosswalks or intersections, um, often they can instinctively sort of infer if there are things like acute, occluded obstacles or uh, pedestrians. So if a pedestrian is starting to cross the road, you'll see that other cars who can maybe see this pedestrian start stopping and sort of change their behaviors. So you can kind of see this cascading effect as people are instinctively making inferences about different driver goals and things that might be occluded. So people are basically very good at observing nearby drivers um, and taking that into account to change their own behaviors. So if we start thinking about how to actually uh, formalize this, we can start viewing uh, cars or drivers around our ego vehicle as sensors. So this means that we can observe their behaviors and start making inferences about what's going on around them. So basically what we need to do is think about how we can take these different driver models and convert it into something like a sensor model. And so what's kind of fun about this work in particular is it's just sort of bridging this connection between some very classic techniques like uh, mapping and environment representation and driver modeling. So we just basically needed to find that bridge and figure out how to take uh, or put the sensor modeling together. So then we can do things like uh, examine how, uh, by looking at things like intersections, we can start making inferences about the presence of pedestrians and start making better, hopefully safer uh, decisions. So we've tested this both in um, simulation, so we collected a lot of data, um, did some simple experiments there, um, and we basically showed that you can actually do Exactly this. So by modeling these driver actions and behaviors, these can actually use as proxies for detection. Um, and more recently, we've been trying to do this on real world vehicles and see sort of what sorts of situations uh, these sort of models can be useful and help improve decision making. 
yeah, that that is very interesting. And uh, since uh, you know, uh, at the moment, uh, you know, uh, I live uh, in one of the cities in India, and I don't know if you have been here and have you seen the roads, how uh, the behavior of drivers are. Oh, this brings me to my next question: uh, that uh, different drivers have different behaviors, and different cultures even uh, can influence the driving behavior. What do you think? Is this uh, something that should be considered, or we can uh, produce a um, unique and a unique model for everyone? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, and I think uh, this is one of these sort of big open questions that I think we as a community need to figure out really how to address. Um, because I think um, the current uh, data sources um, or sort of uh, samples that we have now, they are very, very biased to both certain regions, uh, but also even just very specific scenarios. Um, and I think one of the things that makes um, sort of transportation or autonomous driving really different than many other application areas. Um, so just generally say, how is it different from robotics? Um, is that there is this inherent uh, structure in the problem. So there are sort of codified rules of the road. Um, the drivers have different expectations. There sort of are these uh, social norms. So I think that there is hope for figuring out ways to either translate between cultures or figure out every culture individually. Some might be a little bit uh, less structured than others. Um, but I think if we can figure out how to, one, capture these well, either through data or some other means, um, I think we can kind of figure out how to codify and identify this different structure. And I think one of the important things is, one, coming up with sort of a unified way to define this sort of vague thing that I'm talking about, like structure or user expectations, um, but also being able to sort of identify what are things that are common throughout um, and what are the things that need to adapt. Um, so I think this is something that um, I don't have a solid answer, but I think this is an important uh, question and I think that it's something that we as a community should uh, spend a little time thinking about. Yeah, yeah thank you. That, that was interesting. Uh, you know, uh, I've been asked this question many times, but uh, I want to ask you this. Uh, how can one decide which level of expertise will be adequate for an autonomous car? You know, uh, my driving will be modeled or some top Formula One racers driving, for example, how I drive in the streets or how Schumacher will drive in the streets. Eventually, our system should be flawless, but uh, how can we define that? Yeah, another great question. So this is actually something I think about a lot. So I did some work in uh, like imitation learning. So you try and learn a controller for an autonomous vehicle by uh, watching people drive. And this is sort of one of the big holes in, uh, in sort of this problem formulation is we are always thinking or assuming that we have something like an expert driver. But what that expert driver means is, is super, super vague. Um, so I think this is a uh, a really interesting problem. And I think one of the big um, sort of things or ways we can think about it is really thinking or reconsidering our notions of safety. Um, so often when we think about safety, we're sort of skewed or biased to really define safety as uh, collisions. And so we really want to think about uh, being strictly safe or being a good driver is being avoiding collisions. But I think in reality, and if you think of what actually happens out on the road, um, this isn't necessarily what safety is or how we perceive safety. Uh, there's many different facets that I think we should be considering. Um, so uh, 
as a really simple example, um, you could be very collision free, so not hit anyone. Um, but if you have a terrified passenger in the car, I don't know if that's really safe because that person doesn't have that perception of being safe. So if you had that race car driver zipping around, maybe that isn't something that um, by some measures is not um, safe. Um, so really you need to sort of think about what are sort of the margins of error that you sort of want to tolerate. So is cutting it close or just narrowly avoiding a collision enough? Mm -hmm. um, what are sort of the using or the user elements there that we need to consider for defining something like the perception of safety? Mm -hmm. um, and I think in addition sort of this, uh, this might be going down a slightly different, uh, going to a slightly different route, but I think there's also a sort of a different set of uh, social structures that you have to consider. So um, as I mentioned before, we're probably not used, not used to driving around race car drivers. So if you were to throw a race car driver into the mix, it's not exactly <laughs> sure what sort of interactions uh, or expectations might happen. Um, so I think uh, one really uh, good example of this is uh, in early iterations of the Google car, uh, when it was first uh, tested at intersections, it would be coming to a stop sign, it would break and come to a safe stop. Um, but it was getting rear-ended all the time. Um, so it, it was getting rear-ended at a rate that's much higher than your average human driver that is typically safe. So even though the car itself was following all the rules, it was probably doing some nice like optimal computation of how to brake for efficiency or something. But there was some misunderstanding between the autonomous vehicle and the other people on the road that caused uh, collisions, which are sort of these uh, well-defined poorly uh, or well-defined unsafe um, events. So I think there's a, there's a lot of disconnects, I think, between how we have uh, traditionally formalized safety um, and what it actually means on the road. So again, no solid answers, but I think uh, this is a really interesting area and lots of, lots of fun things to think about in this. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. Imagining ourselves sitting with Schumacher driving the streets, yes, that's, that's fun to imagine at least. Yes, uh, in one of your works um, called uh, HG Dagger, uh, Interactive Imitation Learning with Human Experts, uh, you talk about imitations in data cloning. Uh, can you explain it, especially the reason behind using HG Dagger approach? I mainly ask this because in other work you have chosen Ensemble Dagger. Uh, mm -hmm. What is this uh, choice about? Yeah, so this work was done in collaboration with Mike Kelly and uh, Kunal Minda. So um, this is actually, this ties back to my previous answer. So in this work, we were uh, looking uh, with one of our sponsors uh, to think a little bit about learning-based control for autonomous vehicles. And so we wanted to test out uh, behavior cloning um, or a subset of uh, imitation learning or end-to-end -end learning. Uh, but basically what we wanted to do is we wanted to explore basically how to mimic or recreate driving behavior or human driving behavior so we could effectively drive our autonomous vehicle in a very human-like way. Um, but one of the things we found was that um, just out of the box, these end-to-end -end methods did not work very well. So these end-to-end -end methods, basically it's we want to take in raw sensor data, have something like a neural network that can learn um, basically the relationship between these raw sensor datas and the control uh, of the vehicle. This end-to-end -end method uh, wasn't very stable. So the big problem was uh, it's really hard to get good um, uh, data coverage. So 
Uh, we often were only sampling in some regions of the state space. So as soon as you sort of stepped out of this well-represented uh, region, we had um, sort of unpredictable outputs of our car. Um, and we tended to have things like uh, compounding error, uh, which again sort of ties back to this um, concept of it wasn't being very stable. So uh, we were basically getting very poor performance um, in practice. Um, so we started exploring some other methods, um, like dagger methods. And um, so dagger is an online uh, imitation learning method. It basically allows you to um, switch between collecting more data from your expert, which again, uh, in our case is just a someone we sort of deemed as our expert driver, uh, who was driving safe and making the good actions, but not a race car driver. Uh, and our, what we'll call our novice. So our novice would be the controller that we are trying to learn. So we would basically switch between these two um, agents, our expert and our novice, to hopefully collect uh, more data. Um, we then extended this to Ensemble Dagger, and the goal of Ensemble Dagger was to help us be a little bit more intelligent about our switching. So we would basically switch or collect more data from our expert when we thought we were in an unsafe or poorly represented region. So what Ensemble Dagger tried to do was try and come up with this idea of confidence measures to basically tell us when we needed to get more data, or when we needed to fall back on our experts. So it was basically this proxy for uh, safe learning. Okay. So again, uh, this is sort of a very organic step-by-step -step process. So we started with just trying to do imitation learning. It wasn't working very well. Moved on to Dagger. It didn't have great switching rules. Ensemble Dagger gave us this very sort of well-informed switching or uh, decision rule in terms of safety. So then we actually tried to do this um, on our vehicle with our human driver. Um, but the problem was the switching was very, uh, very short-lived. So it was switching basically between a human control and uh, autonomous control at a fairly high rate. And one of the problems when you have this sort of switching uh, with humans involved is they start doing things that are fairly unpredictable. Um, and this actually ties back to very uh, things that are very well known in the human factors uh, literature from how pilots control uh, airplanes. So if you have this uh, mode switching, you typically get this sort of unexpected or uh, non-typical behavior. So what we were observing is when the control was sort of switching back and forth, people would start sort of jerking back or behaving uh, poorly. So again, we were getting sort of very poor uh, controls in the end because we actually weren't getting good expert labels. We were just getting sort of these human reactions. So HD dagger stands for a human gated dagger. So in this case, we tried to basically take some of this insight from human factors to get better human performance out. So the way we were doing the switching was through the sort of human gating um, method. So we were getting smoother and better data. So at the end of this, we had this sort of online interactive learning paradigm where we could actually get very good, high quality data and thus a much better quality controller um, at the end. Yep. Thank you, Katie. This was a very nice explanation. You know, apart from uh, professors and uh, researchers in this uh, podcast, we have some students also listening to us. This is very good for them to understand that how good research actually forms, starting from uh, some maybe not very desirable data and then slowly, slowly, step by step, going to what you are happy with it. Thank you for explaining this.
Let's talk about one other interesting work of yours uh, with Masha Itkina, very recently published, Dynamic Environment Prediction in Urban Scenes Using Recurrent Representation Learning. What is this work about? Can you please explain it to us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So this uh, paper really tries to target one of the key challenges for autonomous driving um, in trajectory planning. Um, so one of the big challenges is you really need to be able to plan over long time horizons. Um, so if you can plan over long time horizons, you can be more proactive against things like collisions. So you can avoid farther than that, not have something that's um, purely reactive. Um, but you also get typically smoother uh, trajectories out if you can have this sort of longer time horizon. Um, and this is really hard in cluttered urban environments if you have very dynamic obstacles and you have many different agents. So if you're interacting with lots of pedestrians and bicycles and other vehicles, things can get very complicated. And so planning over long time horizons is very, very difficult because there's so much that can change. So what this paper really tries to focus on is this um, basically methods for doing prediction of the future environment including all of these uh, agents, so we can in turn have better uh, trajectory uh, planning. So specifically, this looks at mapping representation. So if we can take our whole uh, scene at the time, so including these different agents that hopefully we can um, observe, um, map them or represent them as a dynamic occupancy grid. So this would be a map representation that both captures some of the dynamics um, or velocities of the different agents, as well as just the sort of uh, relative positions. Um, and we wanted to basically uh, develop a learning framework that could then predict this future occupancy. So what we basically did was take this um, learning network uh, to forward predict this occupancy grid. So hopefully by coming up with this uh, robust sort of prediction of the environment, we can then in turn have this uh, better trajectory planning that could actually take into account the future um, obstacles or future environments in, into account. Um, so this was done using um, what's called the PredNet um, architecture. So this was basically taking this idea of mapping or representing these occupancy grid maps as images and using things like um, or insights from the video frame prediction literature um, and coming up with a better prediction and so we validated this on the kitty data set and we got pretty good results yep nice now let's talk about kitty uh, <laughs> most of autonomous cars uh, are designed and tested in the cities and streets with less complexity and less dynamic obstacles, like Kitty in cars, uh, Let's uh, bring the situation a bit towards older cities with their hustle and bustle. We do not have a data set as Kitty uh, for uh, many other places. Your idea was tested and validated uh, using Kitty data set. What do you think? Uh, will it still work once we bring it into a more crowded and unpredictable city? Yeah, so this is a great question. So I think this specific uh, paper that we just talked about probably wouldn't. So I think there is some transferability, but I think one of the things that's really tough is, especially when you're in these really dynamic environments, it really comes down to can you come up with good um, internal models of these sort of agent behaviors. So if you go to a different, more cluttered place, it's not necessarily clear that those, um, what was represented in your original data set still holds in this sort of new environment. So this ties back exactly to, or very well to your previous questions um, about 
what happens when you change to different cultures or different environments. So I think this is really hits home the fact that I think we need to really come up with good tools that can take, in, take advantage of these um, sort of the data sets that are available, but also figure out how to integrate them with some of the things that are more commonly true. So how do we sort of balance these uh, model-based and data-driven approaches? Um, I would also, uh, there's a, a new data set called the interaction data set, um, and this was led by Wei Zhen over at Berkeley, but um, it's a little bit different from the data set. They don't have the pure sensor uh, measurements like Kitty did, um, but they are looking at many different places and looking at these sort of denser, tighter interaction. Mm -hmm. um, that, that is interesting. Yeah. What are you currently working on and uh, what is your next step? Good question. Um, so I guess uh, I've been looking at lots of uh, different applications. Um, so since moving to Illinois, uh, it's a very uh, heavy agriculture town. So I'm surrounded by corn now. So I've been looking at some uh, agriculture <laughs> applications. Um, but uh, in transportation, um, I've been looking a little bit more at uh, vulnerable agent models. So things like how vehicles and pedestrians can interact. Um, so this ties into some of my prior work in driver modeling. Um, but, you know, just looking at sort of different agents and uh, target areas. Um, but so I've been looking more at things like long-term predictions of human motions. And again, what happens when you have this sort of tight coupling between um, agents. Uh, I've also been looking a lot more at safety and validation methods, um, especially when you have these very complex autonomous systems that have different perception models, um, very complex decision things um, or decision stacks. Uh, how do we actually make sure that these systems are going to be safe? And again, especially in these sort of uh, surprising things that can happen when you put uh, humans uh, in the loop. Um, and uh, a quick pitch for things, uh, these two ideas have actually come together quite nicely in one of our forthcoming papers at ITSC. So we've been looking at online monitoring for vehicle pedestrian interactions. So really thinking about how we can have some sort of online system that can uh, look at um, safety guarantees and assess this um, for our system, but then also looking at different agents and how that may come into play and influence our system. Beautiful, thank you. Uh, what do you think? Uh, did COVID-19 and pandemic teach us anything uh, to relate it to intelligent transportation or autonomous cars? I don't know if you have a lockdown over there or not, uh, but uh, what is your thought about this? Great question. Uh, yeah, so we are currently sheltering place uh, here in Illinois. Um, but yeah, I think uh, there are a lot of things that I learned uh, about COVID unrelated to transportation, but uh, related to transportation. Um, I think one of the sort of most interesting things is I think it really gave people sort of a taste of what it improved or reduced uh, congestion can be like and what it's like when there's no traffic on the road. Uh, so I think it's a, it's sort of a good example of what could be if we sort of fix a lot of these higher level uh, transportation mm. issues. Um, but I also think it actually set the stage pretty well for a lot of the services that could be made autonomous. So um, if we think of things like Uber and Lyft and a lot of these um, services that we basically can no longer use, um, if they were maybe autonomous or we had some support um, on that side, then we could still sort of have these um, aspects of, of society running. Um, same thing with things like food delivery. Um, so I think it's sort of opening up uh, or maybe motivating how important or useful these sorts of services could be. 
Yes, that's that's a very good point. Yes, I, I totally agree with you. I'm sure that our listeners also have thought about this. It's very interesting. And uh, as my last question, uh, I would like to know your opinion regarding the future of driverless cars. What is your point of view and uh, your forecast? So, I mean, I think it's been a slow and steady race. Um, so one of my... Uh, favorite things to do when I usually start talks is to go through sort of a, a quick overview of autonomous vehicles in the news. So uh, when I first started working on a lot of these problems, uh, it was right when the Google car was announced and they were promising you know, autonomous vehicles for everyone by 2015. And it's just sort of been this uh, rolling deadline of when uh, things will actually uh, happen. So um, but I think it's been sort of a slow and steady race. I think we've made a lot of good progress, and I think um, the rate at which things have actually been developing has been very impressive. Um, so I think that, um, I won't put a year on it, but I think things are sort of moving along uh, well. Um, I think the big thing that we do need to figure out is good ways to really validate the systems in a rigorous way. Um, I think a lot of our focus has been on on-road testing, um, but I don't know if that's really sufficient to come up with a good measure of safety. So I think this would be sort of the big thing that we still need to figure out. Um, so we can make sure that when we do sort of have this uh, full release into you know, the public, uh, things are actually safe when they're not causing uh, new problems. So I would say that's sort of the thing that I think should be the focus for the next little bit. Yeah, thanks. Uh, dear Katie, uh, is there anything special that you want to mention and talk about to our listeners? Um, well, thanks for listening to me ramble for a bit. Um, if you have any questions or feedback on some of uh, the stuff we talked about here, anyone can reach out to me. Um, yeah, otherwise, just stay healthy, wash your hands. Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I hope some of our, uh, I don't know, researchers, maybe maybe they find some collaboration with you. I, that is very interesting. Uh, and uh, just uh, at the last point, I, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. I know that these days academic life is much more hectic. We really appreciate that you accepted our invitation for interview. Thank you, Katie. I hope this episode was interesting enough for all of you. Please stay safe, stay home. Dear listeners, if you have any suggestions and recommendations or you want to join us as volunteer and help in improving the podcast, please drop us an email. Don't forget to share the podcast and spread the word. This podcast is sponsored by IEEE Intelligent Transportation System Society and this was Dr. Mariam Kavishkar from IEEE ITS Society.